Well, we welcome you and those who are watching online. We welcome you to First Baptist Church today. If someone told you to eliminate something, you would know what they were saying. And sometimes that's easy if it's something that you want to get rid of, bad food or something. You, you, to, to eliminate something is to discard it, to get it out of the way, get it out of the picture. This week I talked to Ashley Hill, who is a friend of mine and my family's, and Scott and Ashley have 24, 25 children, is that right? All pretty blondes and handsome blondes. But Ashley is the owner of the uh, Diabetes Care Center of Louisiana, and she's a very highly trained uh, expert in diabetes. And I asked Ashley, I probably shouldn't have because Ashley, I didn't really like all your answers, but uh, you ever ask a doctor something and you really don't want them to tell you, you know, you want them to give you the go, oh, sure, go, go ahead and eat all the cake you want. Uh, I said, Ashley, do you ever, when you're working with people who are struggling with diabetes or who may have some issues, do you ever tell them to eliminate things completely? And she said, yes, there are things we tell them to eliminate completely. Sugary drinks, uh, processed carbs. I'm not sure all that involves, but I'm sure that's in my diet. Uh, and certain sweets. And, and what Ashley went on to tell me is that, uh, you know, especially if someone has already got the issues, that, man, there's some, some serious things can happen quickly if you don't eliminate these things, but the damage that can happen long-term to your body uh, is very serious too. And so to live wisely, if you're diabetic, it's probably not good to start the day and end the day with a 24-ounce Frosty, correct? Uh, Probably not wise for any of us to. You understand what eliminating things are. Well, this morning, we're in Proverbs 6, Proverbs 6, and I want to give you this big thought this morning to be wise we need to eliminate the things God hates. There are things that you need to eliminate in your life that, that even if you're an atheist, whether it's sugar or tobacco, whatever it is, you need to eliminate it for your well-being. But I think you're going to agree with me. If you, if you want to live wisely, if God hates something, you need to get rid of it. Amen? Would you agree with that? If you're taking notes, and I always hope you are, wisdom, we try to define this almost weekly, it's doing life God's way. It's doing life intelligently. Listen, you can have a GED or or no high school education at all and be wise. You can have four PhDs and not be wise. Wisdom is is living with common sense. It's doing life God's way. It's doing it the best way. To live wisely is living in a way that pleases and honors God. If you get nothing else, get that. If you and I are living in a way that does not honor God and does not please God, we are not living wisely. And listen, wise living benefits you. Wise living benefits those who we love and, and those that we are involved with. Unwise living, not living wisely, is going to damage you and it's going to damage those around us. In verse 16 of Proverbs 6, this is a powerful passage. I've never preached this in my life before this week. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. That, wow, that, that does not need to be a memory verse for next month, does it? That's pretty rough. Now, it's not like God was giving the Proverbs to Solomon. He goes, six, whoops, I forgot. Let's add one more. It's, it's like he's building a ladder here. And this list is not exhaustive. There are other things mentioned in the, even in the book of Proverbs that God uh, hates. But these are 100% on target. Now, if you're taking notes, the word hate there is a powerful word. It means to be an enemy. So these things, God says, are an enemy to him. I love this. These are things that hate something 
means it's odious to you. It's odious. I love that word. Doesn't that sound scholarly? Does that room stink? No, it's odious. Uh, you know, I love the King James. It stinketh. So, however you want to say it, these are things that stink to God. That ought to get your attention. Then it says, not only does God hate them, they're an abomination. Abom- abomination means to disgust or abhor something. In other words, that God, these are things we're going to see this morning that it's impossible to live wisely if you and I are living this way consistently. These things would need to be eliminated. So here's what I want you to do as you take notes this morning. I want you to start with the question, what? <laughs> Number one, with, with, with what? What do I need to eliminate? There's going to be seven things. Some of you, God forbid, may be seven for seven this morning. I don't think so. I hope not. Maybe you're going to be two for seven. What do you need to eliminate? You're not turning these lists in. This is just for you and God. And here's the second thing. Who? Uh, who, who do you need to eliminate from your life? That you may have people you hang around with, that you see these characteristics. Listen, these are odious to God. These are poisonous. These are not a wise way to live. And, if, and now you go, what if I'm married to this person Yes, that makes it much more difficult. Love them, pray for them, but be careful about the influence they exert over especially your decision-making process. I'm not telling you to get rid of your spouse, but some of us need to have some change of friends, that's for sure. Looking at this list, let's walk through this list today, thinking about what do I need to eliminate? Hey, is there some who's I need to eliminate? Here's the first thing God says he hates, haughty eyes. Haughty eyes is an arrogant spirit. It's an arrogant person. In verse 17, he says, he's just said, I hate these things. And the first is haughty eyes. The word haughty means to be proud. It means to be self-exhausted or raised up. It's an arrogant person. And, and it's funny, he says haughty eyes. Listen, your body language says a lot about you. You can tell if you're a teacher, if one of your students is laying face forward onto a desk for 30 minutes, they're probably not paying attention, Correct. Body language is obvious. Preachers recognize body language too, by the way. Just thank God I can't see all of you clearly. But haughty eyes, I, it's hard for me from the, this distance. But someone with haughty eyes, it's, it's the person you can walk up and look at them, and it's almost like they look at you with disdain. And their nose goes up in there. You know, we used to, when I was growing up, the word, do y'all use the word snob, Caleb? Is that a normal word still? That's still in the vocab. How many of you know what a snob is? There's none at First Baptist, amen? Okay, just don't point if you know any of them. A snob is someone, they, they stuck their nose up. That's what arrogant people do. That is a body language. They're haughty with their eyes. They raise their nose because they're looking down at you. They are better than you. And here's why. Listen, how many of you like that person? Zero. The only person that likes the arrogant person is the arrogant person. And God says, I think this is profound. You see, a lot of church people, man, we get into things we hate. And, man, God's against this. And I'm, I'm for you. God's against things. And God does hate things. God hates arrogant people's behavior. Wow. You know what got Lucifer in trouble? You know who Lucifer is? That's Satan. Do you know what he did before he was the devil on his resume? He was the top angel in heaven. Did you know that? You know what caused him to fall? It's a keg party, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> I think that's what they told me in junior high school. It was a keg party that got him to fall. No, it wasn't. It was pride. 
The arrogant person is wearing the sin of Lucifer as their costume. All of these things, I want to give you a counterbalance. How are you doing with the arrogance? Some, maybe you got some arrogant friends that you need to move away from. Religious people can be very arrogant. You know, the, you know the remedy for arrogance is simple. Just humble yourself. That's what the Bible says. Humble yourself. Don't wait for God to humble you. If God humbles you, you're going to be crawling around. You don't want God to humble you. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. God hates a haughty spirit. Number two, God hates a lying tongue. Verse 17, God hates haughty eyes and God hates a lying tongue. This is dishonesty. Literally, it's deceit and falsehood and untruth. Temple University, the medical school in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, several years ago, did a study. I'm sure they get these students in, they give them food, money, and they, take, they do tests on them. And so they got these students, they said, look, we, we want you to lie, and we're going to do an MRI on your brain while you're lying. And then they got some other students to tell the truth. And what they found out was that the, the students who were lying Lying affects seven different areas of your brain while telling the truth only affects four. In other words, to lie takes more effort. You've, you've probably heard that, and it absolutely does. National Geographic, two years ago, had an article on dishonesty. Now, that's not normally their, you know, they're normally talking about chimpanzees and alligators and things like that, but it was a really good article. Listen to what they said, and this is not written from a Christian perspective. We as humans lie with ease. We lie to hurt other people. We lie to make ourselves look better. We lie because we're selfish. We lie to protect ourselves. We lie to our families. We lie to our strangers. We lie to our bosses. We lie to our employees. And I love and I hate what they said at the end of it. They said, it seems to be woven into the fabric of humanity to be dishonest. If you know a little bit about the Bible, Josh, one verse comes to mind, Romans 3, 23, for we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Dishonesty is woven into our being. I find it staggering, as I think you probably do too, that God says one behavior he hates, he hates it. He hates a snotty, snooty behavior in a person, and he hates dishonesty. Because it runs families, it runs teams, it runs workplaces, it runs churches. It's just, listen, wise wisdom is so much better for you and everybody else. Unwise behavior destroys you and everybody else. I read a quote from a man named George Duncan. He said, to be untrue, to be a liar is just constitutionally a failure, fundamentally a failure of our Christian faith. Do you need to eliminate some dishonesty from your life? Maybe you've got some friends or people you're around who are just pretty dishonest people. I would encourage you, love them, pray for them, and get away from them. What's the remedy for dishonesty? It's real simple. Just be honest. Listen, being honest doesn't mean you tell them everything you know. Men, this is a good example. I don't, you know, you probably don't need to know what your wife weighs. That's probably just safe. Amen, guys? You just don't, whatever you think, subtract 100 pounds from it when you're asked. But if you did know what your wife weighed, how dumb would it be to go into a Bible study class and tell everybody because you're just telling the truth? You'll be in marriage counseling with Brandon for, for eight years and in the hospital for two months. Sometimes being honest is telling people it's not your business. But being honest means you never tell a lie. Be honest. God hates dishonesty. Here's the third thing, and this, 
we can understand the fundamental first part of this real easy. God hates one who sheds innocent blood. Who shed innocent blood. Verse 17, and hands that shed innocent blood. It's interesting that Hebrew word hand can literally mean the, the hand of your body, but it also means the means. What, the, what means we might use to do this type of behavior. Innocent literally means blameless, and, and blood can be the, the literal bloodshed, or it can be the guilt involved with some act. I want to share with you something that happened in America on February the 25th in Washington, D.C. Our United States senators, there's 60 senators uh, in, in the Capitol, two for each state. Our, our senators uh, blocked a bill that would require doctors to provide medical support to infants born alive after a botched abortion. The bill was titled the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. It needed 60 votes to become law. They got 53. This is technical, so I'm going to sum it up real quick. Kathleen was nice enough to get this to me. In other words, what it meant was uh, a baby surviving an abortion, this law would have said they will receive the same medical help and recitation as babies who struggle after any other birth, and our Senate could not pass that. I want to tell you guys, that's innocent blood. That's innocent blood. And, And, you know, I want to tell you, that scares me. For a thousand reasons. One is I'm, I live in America and I think God may bring his wrath down on us. I want to be on vacation in China when that happens. That's horrible. Now I'm going to tell you as a church, I'm speaking for our church. We are pro-life here. We are absolutely pro-life. But I want to tell you we're pro-grace too. Let me tell you what I mean by that. A lot of people have had abortions. You know people have had them. Some of you have had them. We're pro-life, but man, we love you. God loves you. And God's grace and forgiveness is available. We're pro-life and we're pro-grace. And we're going to hold to both of those standards completely. Thank you. Thank you. Let me give you another application to shedding innocent blood. And this is, uh, this is a little more for church folks, too. Shedding innocent blood certainly can be physical violence. There's no question about that. It can be abortion. It, it certainly can be that. But it can also be how we mistreat people. When you slander people, when you lie about people, when you gossip about people. See, a lot of church people, we take good stands on some issues, but we will destroy people with our mouths and our behavior. That's shedding innocent blood. How how do we do, what's the answer to this? Well, here's the answer. Man, be a protector, not a destroyer. Let's, Let's try to protect babies. Let's try to protect one another. Let's try to protect innocent lives. God hates the shedding of innocent blood. Here's the fourth thing. God hates hearts that devise wicked plans, that devise wicked plans, evil Intention is what the heartbeat of this is. In verse 18, God hates a heart that devises wicked plans. The heart is your mind, it's your will, it's your center, it's your very being. It's who you are. 
a heart that devises, that fabricates, that it's planning in a bad way. And the word wicked there is, is one of the, the major Hebrew words for sin, which means naughty and deceptive and what's false. One Old Testament Bible scholar described this personality as the sociopathic personality. If you don't know what that is, that's a person that really doesn't have any feelings or emotions for anybody but themselves, basically. The scholar went on to say, this person has no regard for any body or anything except their own advantage. They plan, they scheme, they call the meetings, they make the phone calls with the purpose to destroy and to undermine. And God hates that. How many of you, does, does that surprise you God hates that? If God's holy and loving and perfect, which he is absolutely, does it surprise you that God hates that? Stop it. And man up or woman up, when someone makes that phone call to you, tell them to stop. God hates that behavior. What do we do? I want to encourage you. You be on the positive end of that. You plan the good meetings. You make the good phone calls. You stop the phone call when it comes to you. God hates that behavior. You cannot live wisely and live in a way that God hates. Here's the fifth thing. People who race to do wrong. A feet, in verse 18, feet that make haste to run to evil. In this passage, we've seen the eyes, the tongue, the hand, the heart, now the feet. This is, this is someone who's excited to sin. This is someone excited to, to do bad, to, to do harm, to run, to do evil. Well, obviously, would you agree with me, there's a spiritual problem if that's you? <laughs> well, you don't agree, but it's right. And God says, listen, man, it, it, this, is the, this is the first what. If this is you, if you look at yourself and you, you want to hear the gossip, you want to spread the gossip, you want to create the problem, and you're quick to get involved in it, that is wrong. And you need to stop it. I need to stop it. And if we have people in our lives who are like this, we need to move away from them Again, listen, you be quick to bring the positive things and the good things to the party, not the negative things. Here's the sixth thing he says in this list, and that's being a false witness. Now, this is very similar, obviously, to being dishonest, but he's upping the, the game here in a different level. In verse 19, God hates a false witness who breathes out lies. That word false there is the same word in verse 17. That's a liar deceitful. The word witness literally means testimony, and the, and the word lies used in this verse is talking more in a legal or an open sense, a public affair. In other words, it would be getting on the, the court under oath and lying. And by the way, that is a felony. If you're convicted of that, you may go to prison. That's how serious it is. That might be in a meeting where you're called, whether it's at a school board meeting or an office meeting or a church meeting, and you're, you're up in front of people, and you're supposed to be testifying and sharing, and you lie. God says, I hate that. Our, our justice system understands that when the legal system, when people get up and lie on the stand, that undermines everything, and it cannot be accepted. It's got to be dealt with. And listen, God says, it's one thing just to be a liar and be dishonest. That's bad enough. But when you do it in a public and open way, that's such a horrible thing. God says, stop it. It ruins society. It ruins families. It ruins teams. It, it ruins churches. Again, let's just go back. Be honest. 
honest is not spilling your guts necessarily, but honest is always being truthful. And number seven is an interesting one too. Maybe not one that would make your list or my list, but God says, I hate decisive people. I I hate the behavior of decisive people. And one who sows discord among brothers. This is the strife causer. The word sows means to spread or to push something out. Discord literally means strife. And brothers is a family. It's a team. It's a church. It's a workplace. It's a brotherhood is what it is. Back in Jesus' day and in Solomon's day, if you got ready to spread wheat in the field, you didn't have tractors. You didn't have machinery. A guy would put a, a basically, we'd say a backpack on, and it'd be full of seed, and he would just go through the field, and he would scatter it as he went. Some people still scatter grass and things like that. And, and that's the picture of somebody, and you know this person, who reaches into their bag, and when they can find something that's harmful, gossip, troublesome, divisive, they take it in, and they spread it everywhere they go. And listen, God says he hates it. I didn't understand it many, many years ago when I entered the professional world, but I understand now why this is so bad. It's like a termite. You know what a termite is? We have a picture of some termites, I think. We're going to get them off the, the, quickly off the screens when they come up because you might look at them and get hungry. Do we have, there we have. Ugh. Okay, two years ago, do any of y'all remember we had like major construction going on in the worship center? Do y'all remember that? We had it last year too. Nobody remembers that? Guys, you got terrible memories. Doug Smith was sitting over here in the balcony in the corner, and Doug asked Josh one day after church, he said, Josh, is that beam supposed to be pulling away from the wall? That's what is called a rhetorical question. (laughs) You know the answer? Were you supposed to be in at 2 in the morning? And the answer is, uh, yeah, Dad, sure. I just decided to do it on my own. And what we found out, we hoped and prayed just the glue came loose. That was a wooden. It's not wooden anymore. That was a wooden beam. And what we found out is we had termites in them. Isn't that great? Hey, termites are little. That's not a problem. No, you know, we can just, I got Josh up there with a the fly swatter. They killed them. Thank goodness we had our, our, you know, our people were coming all the time doing their regular checks for termites, so we were covered, because this ended up costing 100000 plus. They found out there were termites all in this one. And then they began to look at, these are wooden beams, by the way, and they began to look at some other ones. You know what they found out? The termite family had spread the love. And they were eating away at your church. Now, in a, this would have been a freak, long-term scenario. But guys, if that would have been left unchecked, those little bitty termites would have collapsed this building. You know, one of the worst things for your sports team or for your family or for where you work or your church are strife causers. A lot of times it's not going to be what's outside that's going to bring you down. It's going to be what's inside. And God says, I hate that behavior. I want to encourage you today, man, if that's you, stop it. God's called you to be a unifier. The devil's a strife causer. Be a unifier. If you know people who are that way, I want to, I want to challenge you to man or woman up. And when somebody's trying to cause trouble, where it work, community, wherever it is, you man up, you woman up, and you say, stop it. 
See, what happens so many times is good people sit on their hands, good Christians sit on their Bibles, and the other guys don't. Stand up for what is right. God says, I hate strife causing. I want you to look back in verse 14 and 15 of this same chapter. The verses right before this actually kind of parallel it. They certainly reinforce it. With perverted heart, he devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, they will be broken beyond healing. In other words, God says, and then he lists these seven things. People who behave this way, it's so unwisely. It's so unhealthy. It's so destructively. And God says, you stay on this path. Eventually, he's going to deal with you. He's going to deal with me. And it's going to be decisively. Write this down. When you get home today, read 1 Kings 21. 1 Kings 21. And then probably you need to do a little more research because I don't have it for you to get the rest of the story. But it's in First and Second Kings. 1 Kings 21 Ahab and Jezebel are the main characters. How many of you have heard of Ahab? I'm not talking about Moby Dick. You've heard of Ahab there. Have you ever known a woman named Jezebel? I'm not talking about nickname. I'm talking about a woman. Nobody names their daughter Jezebel who likes their daughter. Ahab is the king. He's a Jewish king now. Keep that in mind. And he sees a man's property near his palace named Naboth. And Ahab wants his property. He wants his vineyard. It's a vineyard. And he says, hey, I'll buy it from you. I'll, you know, to, to his credit, he doesn't just go try to take it first. I'll buy it from you and, you know, whatever. And Naboth says, no, because this is hard for us to understand. Back then, you got your, your property a lot of times had been in the family for hundreds of years, and it was an important part of your heritage. You didn't get rid of your family property. And so Naboth told the king, no, here's what the king did. Literally, he goes back to the palace, and he, it says he turns his head against the wall in the bed, and he won't look at the wall, and he won't come to supper. Isn't that a man? And Jezebel, who is a man, comes up there, and she says, what's wrong with you, sissy? And I'm paraphrasing. And Ahab says, I wanted that vineyard, and he wouldn't give it to me. And you know what she said? I'll get it for you. And so she does everything laid out in in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19. She writes letters to people, signs it as the king, and says, I want you to call a banquet. Listen, listen to how she words it. Of prayer and fasting. That makes it right. And I want you to have Naboth there, and I want him to be at the center of the banquet. Then I want you to get two scoundrels to come in the middle of the banquet and say, false witness is lying, that he cursed the king and he cursed God. And then I want you to take him out and stone him. And that was not marijuana, by the way. They have the banquet, they take him out, and they beat him to death with stones. And then Jezebel comes and tells her husband, guess what? You've got the vineyard now. And so he goes and gets the vineyard. The only thing he left out of the equation, and she left out of the equation, was G-O-D. Because God never misses anything, does he? And God sent a prophet named Elijah to show up and tell Ahab, look, buddy, you lied, you had false witnesses, you devised wicked schemes, you're haughty, you're proud, you're divisive, everything listed here. And you know what? When you least expect it, you're coming down. It was not immediately. 
Ahab goes out to battle. He's disguised. Nobody knows he's the king. He's got his armor on. One of the enemy just shoots an arrow up in there, kind of a freak shot. It hits him in a crease of his armor. They take him back, and he dies. And the dogs lick up his blood at the same spot they licked up the blood of Naboth. A while after that, Jezebel's standing on her balcony. A man comes into the city and hollers out to the servants to kill her. Her servants, who had just been washing her hair ten minutes later, throw her over the balcony. She dies. Dogs come and eat her flesh off her bones right there. Am I telling you that's going to happen to you today? No. It's going to happen to me. I hope not. But I'm saying, if you don't live wisely, you live dangerously. I want to challenge you. Challenge me. If we want to be wise, we've got to do it God's way. And the scary and the crazy choice is, is the choice is yours and mine. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, what's God saying to you? And, and what, what is he saying to you? And what will you do with it? If you're not a Christian, but you're ready today to give your life to Jesus, pray with me and sincerely say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. I believe you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. And I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in just a second. And when we do, I want to challenge you. The wisest thing you can do. You just gave your life to Christ or you're ready. Come this morning. Come this morning and give your life to Christ. If you're uncomfortable walking an aisle, meet me over here after church. Give your life to Christ today before you leave. Maybe you'd like to join the church. You can do that after church too. Or you can come when we stand and join us. You need a church. And if God's leading you here, we need you. You're a Christian today. I know some of you are doing great with these things. Keep it up. Others of us are struggling. Maybe it's where you're standing or at the altar, on your knees before God. You need to say, God, clean me up, straighten me up. God, I'm repenting and I want to live the way you want me to live. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come. We'll be waiting.